are listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. You will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival sermons from great preachers of the past. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Would you take your Bibles and look with me at Ezekiel 33, verse number 11. Verse 11 says, Say unto them, As I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. Now, that might come as a surprise to some folks that maybe are visiting this church or maybe new Christians. We've always had the idea that God just sort of set up in heaven and drooled waiting on the next opportunity to knock somebody up alongside the head with his big baseball bat. You know, oh boy, he did something wrong, get him! You know, but he says... I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from his way and live. Turn ye, turn ye from evil ways. Now, here's a phrase that I want us uh, to let grip your heart today. Why will you die? Why will ye die? And that's what I like to preach to you about this morning. Let's bow together for prayer. Father, we need you today and to that Christian that's in this room this morning thinking well I don't need to hear a sermon about getting saved I already am well I pray that you'll break our hearts afresh and anew of our responsibility to win the lost and then Lord for those that might be here today who don't quite comprehend what I'm referring to yet may they before the morning is over find Christ as their Savior then, Lord, maybe there's a brand new baby Christian seated in this auditorium. I pray that they would be impressed by the Holy Spirit of God to come forward and talk to our men about following the Lord and believers' baptism and maybe how to get involved in this local church. Lord, the gamut is wide here today as far as our needs. Please use the preaching of thy word to meet some of those needs this morning. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Someone one time said, Brother Davis, can you tell me how much God loves me? Describe how much God loves. At that point, I said, I don't think I can. I, I don't have the vocabulary. I don't have the understanding to know how much God loves me. But could I tell you something? Some of you have heard this, but bear with me for the unsaved, perhaps in the building that I want to really grab their attention here. Let me tell you what I heard and saw with my own eyes that might be a key to the understanding of how much God really loves us. It was one of those telephone calls that you always dread to receive as a pastor. Two o'clock in the morning always means bad news. It always means probably heartache, probably tears. I received such a telephone call. On the other end of the line was the broken, weeping voice of my brother, Mike. I said, Mike, what, what's wrong? I said, is it mom? Is it dad? He wept. He could not speak for a while. And I, and I kept questioning him. He said, no, it's, it's not mom. It's not dad. It's not one of our brothers. I said, well, what's wrong? He said, it's Danny. Well, I said, Danny? What's wrong with Danny? Danny was my brother Mike's brother-in-law, the brother to my brother's wife. Man, my mind began to race, and 
I'd recall all the great happy times we had had at the Edwards home. And uh, Danny, of course, being one of the Edwards boys, and the times we'd gone motorcycle riding together back out through the Hadley Hills and the cookouts in the backyard. And Danny was just a young man of 18 years of age. And I said, well, Mike, what's wrong with Danny? He said, Wally, Danny is dead. He's dead. Can you please come home? I was pastoring in the state of New Jersey at the time and had no money, didn't know how I was going to get home, making $135 a week, needing $175 a week. Anybody know what I'm talking about? Raise your hand. Yeah. How many of you have that problem now? Raise your hand. Yes. But uh, I didn't know how I was going to make it home. And uh, somebody helped me a little bit and I was able to buy a Greyhound bus ticket. Got on the old Greyhound bus, drove 21 and a half hours from New Jersey into Flint, Michigan. My dad met me there at the bus station and said, son, would you like me to take you home so you can get cleaned up? I said, dad, I, I need to go over and see Bill right now. Bill Edwards was Danny's father. Bill Edwards is probably one of the best friends I have in the world of the, could, could I say the, my, my dad's generation, the, the, the generation uh, just ahead of me. Bill Edwards is the kind of man that when I was in Bible college, I was always getting a letter from Bill Edwards with a $20 bill or a $10 bill saying, go on down to the snack shop and get something. I remember one time he wrote me a letter and, he, and I opened up the letter and he said, Wally, he said, this, this uh, Thanksgiving, this was just a couple of weeks before Thanksgiving, he said, this Thanksgiving, your dad, your mom, and your four brothers are coming over to the house and we're going to have, we're going to have turkey and, it's, and, and cornbread stuffing and cranberry sauce and pecan pie and coffee and, and, and all, the, all the trimmings that go along with it. And, he, and I was in a reading this thing. I thought, man, knock it off. Here I am at Bible college. I can't be there. And he's bragging about what they're going to have to eat. And I was going to eat some bologna sandwich or something from the cafeteria because all the workers had gone home for Thanksgiving too. So he got down in there and said, oh, by the way, he said, there is a registered letter on the way. You'll be receiving it in a day or two. In it is a round trip ticket. I bought you an airplane ticket to come home and have Thanksgiving dinner with us. Man, I shouted and I, I, went, I, I went back to that mailbox constantly looking for that letter. Finally it came. Man, I got on the airplane, went down there. They picked me up at Flint Bishop Airport, went home, had turkey and all that kind of stuff. I was able to go home for Thanksgiving. Why? Because of the friendship of this man I'm telling you about right now. Other things that he's done don't have time to go into this morning. And I said, Dad, I, I've got to go see Bill. All I could think of, he needs a friend. I went there and pulled up in front of his home and Mrs. Edwards came running out on the front porch, of course, Danny's mother, and she threw her arms around my neck and gave me a motherly kiss upon my cheek. And she said, Wally, I didn't think you could make it, but we're so glad you're here. She said, we sure needed you to come. I said, where's Bill? My dad had already warned me that he sat inside the house, just rocking back and forth in the rocking chair looking out the window. He's a big, large fella. If you'd put a white hair and a white beard on him, he would have looked just like Santa Claus. No joke, just a, 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 always that kind of a jolly kind of an attitude, always laughing, always fun. But she said he just sits in the rocking chair looking out the picture window at, at the front of their house. They had, had 12 acres uh, property there most of it was in their front yard and the boys used to ride their uh, their uh, trail bikes around out there and he just stared looking out that trail bike track that the boys had made in the front yard 
put his arms around his stomach, rocking back and forth, and he had just cried, Danny, Danny, don't be dead. Danny, I don't want you to be dead. I went inside and my dad said he won't even know you're there. He's, he won't even acknowledge that you're there. He's in shock, kind of. But I went in there and I walked into the living room. There he was, seated in that rocking chair, looking out the window. I went over and knelt down in front of him and put my hands on his knees. And I said, Bill, he didn't look at me. You see, Mr. Edwards had come home from work. Had noticed Danny's car around behind a little shed there where they did all the work on their automobiles and... He noticed that Danny was out there working on his car. Nobody else was home. Mr. Edwards went around behind the house and saw these two feet sticking out from underneath the back of the car. Danny had been beneath the car changing the gas tank. He had not taken the proper precautions, even though his dad had instructed him properly, but a teenage boy had not taken the proper precautions. The car had fallen off of the blocks and crushed him to death. Mr. Edwards was the first one to find him. Well, he tried to jack the car up off of him, and when he tried to jack him up, he was in such a panicked hurry. He didn't get the jack under there right, and it fell back down a second time. Then Mr. Edwards, in a panic, reached down and grabbed the car with his hands and tried to pick it up with his bare hands. Dads and moms in the room, you can understand the sick feeling he had in his heart. Mr. Edwards looked over at my father, my dad goes by, the, by his initials, E.B. He looked over at my father and he said, E.B. He looked around and he said, nobody will help me. And then Mr. Edwards stood up on his rocking chair. And he bent down and he began to vi- bent visually reenact finding his son. And he said, why won't anybody help me pick this car up off my son? He said, E.B., help me! Somebody help me get this car off of his body! Why do you stand there? Why won't you help me? My dad stood there and wept. And I wept. Mr. Edwards sat back down and looked out the front window of that home, overlooking the little dirt bike path that his son Danny used to ride every day. And he said this, I'll never forget it. He said, Danny... I don't want you to die. Danny, I would have bought you a new gas tank. Danny, I would have bought you a new car. Danny, why did you die? I don't want you to die. I walked out of that living room, and for the first time it struck me, I had an answer to that fellow that wanted to know how much God loved us. How does God feel towards you and toward me? You take the broken heart of Mr. Edwards and multiply it times a billion. And you might begin to understand the statement that God said here in verse 11. Saying to them, as I live, saith the Lord God, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked would turn from their evil way and live. Listen to his question, coming from a broken-hearted God, when he says, why, why will you die? Do you know that God loves you? I mean you. Take your name, whatever it is, and insert it in that statement. God loves you more than Mr. Edwards loved Danny. 
And when God is saying, why don't somebody go? He says, Davis. He says, Dr. Trevor. He says, Brother Harold. He says, Christian, say unto them, as I live, saith the Lord God, tell them that I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. And he says, and then ask them this question for me. Why will you die? I'll tell you what. I, I believe a reason that a lot of folks go through this life, they come down to the end and they thumb their nose at God and they said, we don't need church, we don't need the Bible, we don't need religion, we don't need God. I'll tell you why we do it. We don't understand what an awful thing this death really is that God wants us to avoid. Amen. Could I tell you an answer to the question, what is this death? The Bible tells us in the book of Revelation that this death is eternal, everlasting hellfire. I know that's old-fashioned. And I know that some would say that comes from the heart of a non-loving preacher, but it's in the book. The Word of God says the smoke of their torment ascended up forever, and there was no rest for the wicked, neither day nor night. Someone that loves you would stand and warn you not to go to that place. Someone that did not care about you, but only cared about your like, wouldn't it, would sort of a, avoid the issue. I'm here to tell you this morning as a preacher that's given himself over to the cause of preaching the eternal word of God. There is a hellfire that God does not want you to go to, and neither do I, and neither do the members of this staff, and neither do the members of this church. Amen. It's an awful death, a horrible death. The smoke of their torment ascended up forever and ever, and there was no rest, neither day nor night. Matthew 25 says about this death that it's a place of everlasting fire. The Bible tells us in Matthew chapter 22, beginning at verse number 12, that it's a place of weeping and a place of wailing and a place of gnashing of teeth. I recall my father and I one day were out drilling a well for water in front of our home out in the country in Hadley, Michigan. Above our home was a landmark area that was called Dead Man's Curve. It was called that for a reason. Many folks over the course of the years had lost their lives on that turn because of going too fast. It was a complete 90 degree hairpin kind of a curve. Oftentimes it was teenagers as it was in this incident that I'm going to tell you right now. We heard the awful sound of the tires that were trying to grip the highway but losing the battle with friction. And went over the side and ran off the side of the highway and the front of the car smashed into a stump of a tree that had been cut down. And when that car struck the tree, the young 18-year-old man was thrown out through the windshield of the car. His face and this part of his body skidded on the highway pavement. The car flipped over in the air and came to rest with the front left wheel of the car across his throat right here. He can thank God that it was one of the little foreign automobiles that had the engine in the back instead of in the front. My father said, son, there's an accident. We jumped out of the well pit where we're digging the well, jumped on my dad's pickup truck and drove up to the, up to the hairpin curve. There we saw the, the residue of the accident and the steam and the smoke coming up from the car. And, and we saw the car lie, right across this man's neck right here as he was on his back in the middle of the highway. 
My dad looked down and he said, what are we going to do? About that time, another man stopped and my father said to this man, he said, we've got to get this car off this boy's neck. My dad and this other fellow, because the engine was in the back of the car, a small foreign automobile, they reached down and grabbed hold of the car with their four hands and lifted it into the air. And my father said, son, when we do this, pull this boy out from underneath the tire by his legs. I would imagine that that car had been resting there, cutting off his airflow for probably three, maybe four minutes. His body was already changing color from lack of oxygen. And when they lifted that car off that boy's neck, I will not begin to try to describe to you the sound that came from that boy's body as he began to fight and gasp for breath. And then when he started to breathe again, the pain set in. And I heard with my own ears for the first time in my life what I think the Bible is describing here in Matthew chapter 22 when it said in hell it's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. I heard that boy begin to grind his teeth together. Some of you folks that have come maybe from country areas and you've heard horses or you've heard cattle as they were eating oats or hay or grain or chewing uh, the grass of the field. You've heard that awful sound, that grinding noise. That's exactly the sound that came forth out of that boy's mouth. Then he began to wail, cry. And I don't mind telling you as a 14-year-old boy that many nights after that I went to bed and had nightmares about that awful day. But God says, you know what? This death that God does not want you to suffer is much worse than what I've described to you already right now. He said it's a place of absolute, everlasting, eternal fire. It's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. The Bible goes on and tells us another thing about this place called hell. This death that God does not want you to suffer. Matthew twenty-two thirteen says, it's a place of outer darkness. Jesus said, bind them hand and foot and cast them into outer darkness. Sometimes when I'm out soul winning as you are, somebody will say, well, you say, are you going to heaven or are you going to hell? I've had smart acts. I'm going to hell. All my friends are going to be there. We're going to have a big party. First thing I want to say to that guy is if all your friends are going to hell, you're hanging around the wrong crowd. And secondly, in hell, it'll be anything but a party. I recall several years ago, it must be maybe a decade or more now, that awful fire that broke out in a teenage nightclub down in Kentucky. They had doors like we have here, but the management had the doors a chain locked so the people could not come in from the outside without paying the cover charge at the door. And a fire broke out in that place, and these doors were made out of steel. And the men that went in there to clean up that place, and hundreds of young people, some of you recall, perished in that fire. They said that the steel door actually had claw marks in them from the teenagers trying to get out of that place. Don't tell me about your party. 
but outer darkness. Let me make a statement to you and then tell you something here. Darkness magnifies the unknown. My, uh, my dad, when he was about 12, 13 years old, down in the foothills of the Smoky Mountains, he and a buddy of his decided to go into town and go to the movies. I'm not for him going then. I'm not for you going now. But he did it, and I'm just telling on him right now. Went to the movies. They, they went to watch some educational film, something about Dracula drinks the blood of Wolfman. <laughs> Uplifting, edifying, makes you feel good when you leave. And they had to walk home in the dark. We're talking country roads in North Carolina. Virgin country forests all around you. My dad grew up in an area where it was not uncommon to see panthers uh, going through the forest and hear them crying at night and copperheads and rattlesnakes and wild dogs and a and, uh, wonderful place to rear your children. But on the way home that night, it was one of those nights my dad said the proverbial you could not see your hand in front of your face. The clouds were out covering whatever light may have been given off by the moon and the stars, and they sort of had to feel their way along the road on the way home. Well, they got about two miles away from my dad's house, and his buddy had to turn down a little old narrow path back in, you folks from the south, down a holler. You know what I'm talking about, amen? Down a holler. And they lived in a little old cabin way back end of a holler. My dad had to go on another two miles alone. He said, every time I heard a twig break in the woods from the wind blowing I just knew Dracula was following me home <laughs> said I got a little ways down the road from my buddy had said goodbye and gone off his place and he said there I was walking down this old country gravel road all by myself he said and I heard something right in front of me I stopped he said and I listened it was one of those frights that are so frightening that you wish you could make your heart stop beating because you know that whoever it is in a hundred mile radius of that place can hear your heart. You've been that, you've been that frightened before. You know what I'm talking about. You're afraid that if you breathe, no matter how softly you breathe, they're going to hear it as if you're breathing into a, magna, a microphone. So he was there trying to get his heart not to beat and trying not to breathe, which is not a good situation to put yourself in. And he heard this thing up there in front of him a few feet. And he thought, what in the world is this? He said, I know what I'll do. I'll get down in this ditch, alongside the road, every country road, every gravel country road has a ditch on either side. I'll get down this ditch and I'll run past this thing and I won't stop till I get home. They got down in the ditch. He calculated where he thought he heard the thing the last time he'd heard it. He said, okay, now is the time to run. And he began to run and wham! Ran right into the thing. The thing had decided to do the same thing my father had decided to do. <laughs> my dad said, we grabbed hold of each other, threw each other, got beaten on each other, and all, all of a sudden somebody said, who, who? My dad said, who, 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 who are you? And the voice of the other thing said, I'm, 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 I'm Joe. They were next door neighbors. <laughs> But in the thick, dense 
blackness, even neighbors were a source of fight for each other. Let me tell you something about this thing that God does not want you to go to. He said it's a place of fire. It's a place of weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. And it's a place of outer darkness. You're going to go down there, you think, and have yourself a party. That best friend that you think is going to be your best friend in hell is going to be a source of fright to you. Terrible place. But tell you how bad it is. I don't have time for you to turn there, but let me just tell you the story. The story of the rich man when he died and went to hell. And the poor leprous pauper Lazarus that died went to Abraham's bosom. And the rich man began to cry, Abraham, have mercy. Send Lazarus over that he might just dip his finger in some water and put it on my tongue. I'm tormented in these flames. Abraham made an interesting statement. Look it up when you get home. He said, we can't. There's a great gulf fixed there. I always read and preached and, and, and it had been in my thinking the great gulf was there to keep the folks in hell from running out over into Abraham's bosom. But if you read the wording there when you get home, look at it very carefully. The first thing Abraham said, he said there's a great gulf fixed to keep those of us that would come from here over to you. You know how bad hell is? Hell is so bad that those of us that are on the paradise side would try to run into it to pull our loved ones out if we could. And the Word of God said there's a great gulf fixed there so that you can't do that. It's a terrible place. God said, I don't want you to go there. God said, say unto them. By the way, that's a request from our Heavenly Father. Say unto them. As I live, saith the Lord God, tell them I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked. He said, now ask them a question for me, would you? Yes, God, I'll ask them the question. What's the question? We'll ask them why. Why would you die when you don't have to? I think lots of people die without the Lord because of pride. I tried to win the man to the Lord that ran the gas station. We had two gas stations in town when I grew up there in Hadley, Michigan. Tried to win this man by the name of Tom to the Lord. No, his name was Mark. I said, Mark, won't you get saved? He said, Wally, I can't get saved. I said, why? He said, if I get saved, he said, there's several churches in town there was the baptist church and the community church and i think a lutheran church outside the town he said if i get saved the members of the other churches will get offended at me and they won't do business at my gas station anymore as far as i know when mark died and i remember him dying a few years back he died without christ because of pride what will this guy think i'll tell you what you're going to have all eternity to figure out the answer to that question. What do they think? By the way, who cares what the next guy thinks? What does God think is the better question? Pride. I think procrastination. I'll do it tomorrow. 
I'll never forget the 82-year-old man down in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. I begged him to come get saved. His son was the chairman of the deacon board of the church where I was holding meetings. I called him Pop. He had me over at his house for lunch two times that week. We liked each other. As a matter of fact, you can even say he loved me and I loved him. I remember going back on Friday night, putting my arm around his shoulder, and I said, Pop, you got to get saved. He said, listen, son, I heard the pastor and my son talking today, and they already said they're having you back for a meeting next year. I'll get saved next year. I begged him to get saved. He said, no, next year, son. I told you, I promise you I'll get saved next year, not now. I did everything I could to try to talk him out of that notion. I could not. I got a letter from his son, the chairman of that church deacon board, two months after the close of that meeting. His dad had died. Next year came, but Pop was not there. Some of you think I'll get saved tomorrow. I'll get saved next year. I'll get saved in the, when I get to be 20 or 30 or 40 or 50 after I've had time to go out and have fun. Let me tell you something. Lots of people are the inhabitants of hell today that believe someday they'd get saved and someday never came procrastination, pride. Now I'd say the last one, pretending. Pretending. I would imagine in a crowd this size there may even be someone in this church who perhaps have been reared in a Christian home and you are pretending. Never forget one morning I was preaching on the great white throne judgment of God when I was pastoring in Connecticut. Gave the invitation and down the aisle they came. Good salvation decisions that morning. A young lady with long brown hair stood down to the front, sort of looking down at the ground, weeping. I left the pulpit area and went down to where she was and put my arm around her and hugged her. And I said, Jeannie, what can I do for you? My sister-in-law, my brother's wife, her daddy is the man I just told you about who sat in the rocking chair weeping over his son. She'd been reared in a Christian home. She'd gone to church from the time she'd been in a cradle roll. She'd married my brother, had a Christian wedding. And that morning, when I preached on the great white throne judgment seat of Christ, she came and stood there and she said, Wally, I'm one of the biggest fakes you've ever seen in your life. I've known the terminology. I've known how to do it from the time I was old enough to hear my mom and dad tell me the Bible stories in our living room home. And she said, I'm no more saved than anybody else in this room that's rejected Christ. I need salvation. And that morning, my sister-in-law came to Christ. But if she had died before that morning, though she had gone through all the motions, she had down all the terminology, she had down all the Bible verses and the Bible memory, and all the time she'd had in daily vacation Bible school, and all the Sunday school classes she had sat through, and all the songs that she had listened to the choir sing, if she had died before that morning, she had gone to hell because of pretending. Someone as well said that God has no grandchildren, only children. And I wonder who in a crowd like this this morning would perhaps listen to the wooing drawing of God's Holy Spirit and have to acknowledge that perhaps maybe you aren't really saved either. You're just pretending. Before you make up your mind, though, I have a question to ask you. Why will you die? There's no reason. 
For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believeth on him should not perish but have everlasting life. Teenagers, look at me, please. Young people, mom, dad, grandma, grandpa, listen to this preacher. God loves you more than you ever imagined. With the same broken heart that Mr. Edwards cried and said, Danny, why did you die? God says this morning, why will you die? I don't want you to. Please, won't you receive Christ? Is his plea this morning. Would you bow your heads with me, please? Every head bowed, every eye closed, no one, please, looking around. By the way, you could fool me and Dr. Trever and this staff, the person sitting next to you and your parents, but let me tell you something, you will not and you are not fooling God. He knows. And so when I ask you this question, would you respond for the sake of God Almighty and not for the sake of the person seated beside you or behind you or in front of you? How many in this room would say, Brother Davis, if I died right now, I am not 100% sure that I'd go to heaven. But I'll tell you what, I know that I don't want to die and go to that place you just described. I don't want to die and go to a place called hell. And if somebody today could tell me how I could go to heaven, I would like to know. Think that question over. How many of you would like to know how to go to heaven? Would you lift your hand way up high so I can see you for just a moment? Way up high. Hold them there until I ask you to lower them, please. I don't want to miss anyone. Fellas in the balcony, I see you there. Over here on my right, God bless you. Right here in the center section, sir, toward the back, I see you. God bless you. Thank you. You may lower your hand. Over here on my left, toward the back, sir, I see you. And buddy, I see you right back there. Thank you. I see you up here, son. Wonderful. I see you back there toward the back in the center section. God bless you, ma'am. I see you. You may lower your hand. Are there any others that say, Brother Davis, I am not sure. Please include me in your prayer. I want to join those that have already raised their hands. Pray for me. Would you lift your hand way up high? Somebody else? Quickly now, quickly. I see up here in the balcony toward the back. Amen. And another in the balcony there. And another on the aisle here in the center section of the main floor. I see you, sir. Thank you. And over here on the right side, I see you, ma'am. God bless you. You may lower your hand. Are there others? All right, listen to me carefully. I'm fighting the clock, but I'm fighting it for your sake. Now listen to me, what I'm going to say. If you just raised your hand, nobody else in the building, please. You folks that just raised your hand, would you look at me right now? Nobody else. This is just, I want to talk to you folks. Right over here, sir, amen, on the aisle here, and over here, and in the balcony, and over here in this section. If you raise your hand, I want you to look at me right now, okay? We'll tell you what we want to do for you, and please, we cannot help you unless you will let us help you. 
In just a moment, our instrumentalists are going to play a song. We call it a song of invitation. I'll tell you why. We're going to invite you to do something. Our men are going to be waiting right down here in the front of this, what we call a platform where I've just preached from. And you folks have just raised your hand as soon as this invitation song begins. I want you to come down to where those men are standing. Shake their hand. They'll know why you're coming without you even having to say a word, to be honest with you. And as you shake hands with them, just say, I need to know how to go to heaven. And within five minutes or maybe less before you leave this building today, you can know for sure how you're going to go to heaven. The balcony, would you let us do that with you, please? The main floor and the center section and both side sections, would you let us do that with you today, please? Don't let the devil talk you out of doing this most important thing. Let me tell you why. God simply asked the question, why would you die when you don't have to? Thank you for listening to the Classic Sermons Podcast from PreachTheBible.org, a ministry of North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California. To listen to many more powerful sermons, visit our website, PreachTheBible.org. If you enjoy Christian music and programming, visit KNVBC.com for Christian music you can trust.